Last week we, we talked about the sufferings of God's people. That seems to be the case of First Peter since we left the election of God's people because we suffer in this world. Talked about being reproached for the name of Christ, looked down upon, hated for the name of Christ because God is in us, people that are not God's people. I'm talking about those that are not given to know God, that love the world and will never be changed, hate us, and we suffer from that because Satan seeks to destroy us in what capacity he can. He cannot take our life without God's suffering. He cannot keep us from heaven Period. But God suffers some things to happen to us in the world for His purpose. That as we suffer as God's children and God delivers us, therefore Christ is glorified and His glory rests upon us because of the work He has done for us. And we talked about judgment beginning at the house of God, how God will punish His people. We gave examples of the flood and and Israel coming out of Egypt and their carcasses having to fall in the wilderness in 70 A.D. and the Lord destroying those that were of the nation of Israel that had sinned against Him and who were in unbelief. And we talked about today that God is no respecter of persons. He will punish us just as soon, if not before the wicked, because unto whom much is given, much is required. And when we fall and willingly turn against God, we suffer greatly. We don't suffer hell. We're not going to suffer in hell. If Christ died for us, we'll stand in eternal glory and a glorified body and nothing can change that. But while we walk in this world in the love of God, in the chastening of God, God will make us just bluntly miserable in our own condition when He allows us to suffer our own choices and works. But God will never punish us as severely as He does the wicked. We come down today... Well, let me go to verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. If the righteous scarcely be saved... We're scarcely saved because we have to enter in at the straight gate. We have to walk with Christ. We have to take up our cross daily, crucify our sin, our desire, the thoughts and desires of this sinful flesh in which we dwell. Therefore, we're scarcely saved temporally. We have to fight every day against Satan, against our own nature, our own self, the thoughts. You know, last night I got in the bed about 12.30 and it was 3 o'clock before I got to sleep because I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I can't pray because the devil puts things in my mind. It seems to me, at least in my case, that the night before church is always hard because Satan puts so many things on your mind trying to carry you away, trying to make you doubt or be weak in the faith God has given you or become angry or something. That's the way Satan works. 
That's why he says in the last verse, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, and made that point last week, if it's the will of God that you suffer, some of God's children do not suffer as much as others. But it says, commit the keeping of their souls to Him, God, in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. And all that we face and all that we see and all that happens around us and to us and afflictions and trials and tribulations, as was mentioned earlier by Sister Beverly, the Apostle Paul and all that he suffered, what kept him going? What keeps us going? The knowledge that God created when there was nothing. We just sang a song about the Godhead that Christ is the living Word of God. He is the Word that God spoke when there was nothing. And it was because God spoke it. Because God willed it. And it was. We serve a God that's capable of creation. We serve a God who did create. A God who will destroy this world. And a God who will deliver each and every one of His children to heaven and immortal glory where we shall stand with Him in eternity. Steve and I were talking the other night. Eternity has no beginning. Eternity has no end. Eternity is now. There's never been a time, this is hard to explain and hard to comprehend, but the things of God are, are so far above us we can't begin to imagine or know any more than God reveals to us. But we know that God is eternal. He's never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. He's never learned anything. He's never got older. He's never lied. To make that point, everything that God is, everything that God purposed, is and will be. It has always been set. It is always in Christ. It is always in the covenant between the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Then go to Hebrews. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Godhead. A faithful Creator. We commit our souls unto Him, and as we walk through this world and suffer all the things around us in this world, we commit our souls to He whom Scripture tells us has us in His hand. And no man can take us out. We begin the text today. Chapter 5, 1 Peter. The elders which are among you, I exhort. The elders which are among you. When the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses, a type of Christ, would deliver them out of that land. Aaron was called to be his mouthpiece to teach them of God. Moses was slow of tongue, slow of speech. That was an excuse that he used and take example of this. 
at Moses' age of 80 years old when God called him to do this. He was 40 when he went back in the desert after he slew the Egyptian. He was 80 when God called him back into His service. And he's a type of Christ and Aaron is a type of the priesthood. We read Numbers 18 And I'll start in verse 6, speaking of what God gave Moses, which is a shadow or a type of the ministry today. Now, Aaron answered to God, but Aaron answered to Moses. Okay? We, the ministry answers to God, but the ministry answers to Christ. It's Christ's ministry. Those He calls, He supplies with what they need. I had an old preacher tell me one time, the Lord's not going to call you to preach and not send you somewhere to preach. It may be a church. It may be to travel from church to church as our brethren used to do. It may be as an evangelist to go to Africa or someplace like that where we have a church established now and to help them. But the Lord is not going to call you to preach without giving you a place to preach. And He's not going to give to call you without giving you a people to preach to. This is the purpose. Listen. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, meaning the Levites, because He's talking to Aaron, the Levites from among the children of Israel. You want to know what a proper minister is? He is a child of God who has been taken of God and called of God. In our articles of faith, we believe that no man has a right to administer the oracles of God but those who are called of God as was Aaron and his sons. I've taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel to you, watch this, to you, to Aaron, to the men, and I'll go further and say to the church of God which assembles together, this is a gift. This is a gift of God to feed you just as God would scatter the manna on the ground, the angel food. God gives us food to our soul. It gives us strength in our soul and the knowledge of Christ and His finished work. It gives us food to strengthen us and carry on as we live in this world. It teaches us how to walk and please God and to express our appreciation. We're not here preaching to you that you have to do something to gain eternal life. We're here preaching to you that God gave you eternal life and Christ your Son, there's another gift of eternal life. We're here preaching that Christ be glorified, that His children would learn of Him and have peace while they live in this world and glory be given to Him. I've taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Everything that was contained in the law, God chose this tribe, God chose these people, God enabled these people, God sent these people forth to take care of the things of the tabernacle. We could go deeper into that, but that's not the text. 
But everything they did from carrying the tent and the ark and all the other things to setting it up to the high priest who would offer sacrifice once a year. And the holy of holies, also a type of Christ. Therefore, thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest office for everything of the altar and within the veil, the most holy place, representing his flesh. And ye shall serve. I have given your priest office unto you as a service of gift. The preaching of the gospel, the ministry, it's a gift to the man God calls, it's a gift to the church. Because through those men, which are usually, I've seen, I look at myself, I'm vile. Okay? I'm not calling the other ministers vile. I'm calling myself vile. But you remember, God takes nothing and creates. God takes death and makes it life. God turns the vile sinner to grace to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. I have given you your priest office unto you as a service of gift. It's a gift to the man. It's a gift to the church. Nothing the man had to do with it. It's all of Christ. It's His ministry. It's all in Christ. To sit under the sound of the Gospel and to have the bliss in your heart. You ever study that word? Sorrow and joy. Sorrow that Christ died. Joy that Christ died. And they shall look upon Me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn as one that mourneth for His only Son. Joy that He died for us, but sorrow that our sin nailed into the cross. That is what we preach today. That is the ministry. That's what everything they did in the law pointed to with the coming of the Christ. For the law and the prophets were until John. I've given your priest office unto you as a service of gift and the stranger. This is how serious this is. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Peter says, the elders which are among you, I exhort. These are men who were called of God as was Aaron. This is not speaking of age, although granted the great majority of the time we see white hoary-haired men Preaching the Gospel. I was 34 when I was ordained. Jonathan Blakely, I believe, was 18. Sam Bryant was young. My sons were ordained young. That gives me hope that God's still calling men to the ministry. I think of Derek Kitchens, whose father will be here at our February meeting, will follow after the footsteps of his father, and God is providing for that church at a later date. Because we all get old and we're all going to die because we're all sinners. The elders represents the wisdom that God gives. It's not always the hoary-haired man. It's the wisdom that comes from God. I was talking to my dad a few months ago, weeks ago, whichever. 
I wish, he says, I could understand the Bible like the ministry does. And I tried to explain to him the purpose of the ministry. And this comes from Brother Estes years ago teaching me this. When God calls a man into the ministry, God draws him, if you'll have this, and listen to what I'm trying to say, He reveals a little bit more to that man. He draws him, in a sense, a little bit closer. Now, we're all going to be the same, closest to Christ. We're all going to walk with Him. We're all going to see Him. There are no offices set up in hierarchies in the church. But for the purpose of the ministry and a man that God calls, being enabled to preach to you the deep things of the Bible, the deep things of Scripture, the deep things of Christ, God of necessity reveals unto him more because so that he can teach the children of God. We're not in competition. We're here to teach you of Christ. Moses. When they were prophesying in the camp, the 70 men, there's one we'll take up sometime. I've been saying that for 20 years and haven't covered it yet, but Lord willing, we will. And Joshua came to them, they're prophesying in the camp. Moses said, would to God that all His children would prophesy. We're not here in competition. We're not here to have big names. We're here to teach God's children of Jesus Christ the faithful Creator, the Creator of heaven and earth, who came to this world and suffered and bled and died for you and will deliver you. You can take that to the bank. Will deliver you. Daily and eternally. The elders to teach God's children that God calls, that God supplies which are among you, he's talking to the church. I exhort. He exhorts them to follow what he's about to say. He exhorts them to teach the children of God. We've established the point, and we've established the office. This is the only God called office in the Scripture. I'm good at sticking my foot in my mouth, so why stop now? A deacon is a great service to the church, and I'll go past that, because a deacon is a great service to the minister who is striving to serve the church. They're to wait tables, They're to loose the hands of the ministry. They don't have the power to run the church. The church runs the church. From the widows on the back row to the brethren in the front and the mamas and everyone that's a member of the church, they run the church. But on the other hand, deacons have many responsibilities. And one of them is to ensure that doctrine glorifying to Christ is preached. And if it's not, then that has to be handled. That's another time and day. But talking about the elder and the office that God established in the church. Peter said, I exhort, who also am an elder. He served a church. He served churches. This is probably written in Babylon, which is where 
the Jews return, refused to return from exile and come down into Rome. There were Jews there. As a matter of fact, the Jews in Rome and uh, Judea considered them more true-blooded Jews than those which were in Jerusalem and Rome because they had not been intermingled. They're looking at flesh like men do. They're looking at blood like men do. That's neither here nor there, but it's a fact of where they were at. He said, I also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Acts chapter 1, and I... When they're calling Matthias, Scripture makes a statement that one must be ordained to be an apostle. Ordained of God. How are you going to get around election? You cannot. One must be ordained. What does that mean? That means that the eternal God in heaven, without beginning, without end, set a time in eternity that all this was made solid, founded on Christ, that those men who were apostles for the purpose of God have always been ordained in eternity to be an apostle. Okay, we turn to 1 John, the other requirement, other than being ordained. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, Christ, which we have heard, they heard Him with their own ears, which we have seen with our eyes, they saw Him walk on water, they saw Him heal the dead, the sick, raise the dead, give hearing to the deaf, and sight to the blind. They saw and they heard the words that He spoke and the miracles that He performed. This is a requirement to be an apostle. We don't have apostles today. There were twelve. That's a number of completeness. They established the church practice and doctrine in the world. And our hands have handled of the Word of life, and that is Christ, is capital W. For the life was manifested, made known to us, Christ is God manifest in the flesh, and we have seen it, and bear witness. Here is what they are doing as apostles are bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do today following their steps and teaching and practice. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, Christ, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That's the purpose of the apostles, the foundation of the church. That's why Paul says we're built upon the foundation of the prophets and apostles. This is the church, the living church. And I'll go ahead with the next one. That we, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, Scriptures, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Peter says, I'm an elder, I'm an apostle, and also a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. 
I'm a partaker of what we see now in the revelation of Jesus Christ. What did Christ ask, ask Peter? Whom do men say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. I'm a partaker. God has revealed this to me. And I will be a partaker when the Son of God appears in His glory. He doesn't appear when He comes, okay? 25.31 When He comes in His glory, sitting upon the throne, Lord of lords, King of kings. We'll behold that glory. We'll behold that. We'll be partakers of that. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. That's in the finished Word of Jesus Christ. That's why we come here to worship on the Lord's day. The day He was resurrected from the grave. The day that body was raised up by the Spirit of God. Peter's talking to these ministers that God has called. Reminding them of their office, who they are and what they're doing, and to whom they belong to, and to whom the ministry belongs to. And he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Okay. Let's go back. You want to see what we're supposed to do? Look at what they did not do. Ezekiel 34, he's prophesying against the shepherds of Israel. This was under the law. They fed themselves. They were to feed the flocks. Now this may have been pertaining to physical things under the law. But I do believe it had a spiritual context there also. But today, in this time of the spiritual church of God, where we worship God in spirit and truth, we are to feed the flock of God with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, that comes by revelation. Again, that comes by the finished work of Christ and the hand of God. It's a gift to the man God calls. It is a gift to the church. <coughs> you eat the fat... And you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. <coughs> they fed themselves. They took the meat <coughs> from the altar. They ate it. They clothed themselves with the wool. They cherished and sought after through greed the gold and silver and offerings in the temple. This is the nature of man. God said the uncircumcised would never come in through the gates again. We saw men in the law service because they were sons of Levi who were in the ministry by that inheritance through Adam, I mean through Aaron in the flesh. They were not many of them God's people. Well, what do you mean, John 10? Ye are not 
My sheep, because you hear not My voice. Who is He talking to? Pharisees and scribes. Okay, now let's go back. The uncircumcised and unclean shall not come through the gates of the city. I'm paraphrasing this. This kingdom, which we are translated into today, is not a physical kingdom. If one who is without God and will never know God comes through that door and sits down, they still have not entered the kingdom of God. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is to be born of the Spirit and that is given only to those the Father gave the Son. And each and every one of them shall enter the kingdom. Now, now, the diseased have you not strengthened? Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Those that are spiritually sick to this day and age. You haven't strengthened them. You hadn't prayed for them. You hadn't told them about the Lord. This is how we help people. We pray for them. Lay hands on them. Anoint their head with oil. That's what the Scripture says. I've never done that. I've never seen it done, but the Bible mentions it. And if somebody's sick wants me to pray a prayer of faith, I'll pray it. won't be me that healed if you want me to rub oil in your hair as a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down to you. I'll gladly do it because it's mentioned in the New Testament. But it's nothing of me doing anything good for you. It's all in Christ. Hadn't healed that which was sick. You have not bound up that which was broken. Members broken off. Hurt feelings. I'm going to tell you, the most hurtful person... Let me rephrase that. That's going to sound bad. The person with the most influence who could hurt one more than any else in the church is the minister. You're not here to hurt people's feelings. You're here to be compassionate and love each other as Christ was compassionate and loved us. The minister is to love the flock. And I dare say, if he's called of God, he will love the flock because God is love and God will put that love there. You hadn't driven, sought that, brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and cruelty have you ruled them. Let's go to Matthew 23. The New Testament. The Lord Himself speaking. Verse 7, 13. But woe unto you. The ministry of the day. Scribes, lawyers. That's not attacking a lawyer today that works in court. A lawyer was one who doctored the law like many change it today in order to make the Word of God fit what they want to believe and teach and profit from. Scribes, Pharisees, Hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Men who lay such great burdens upon you as they did, to them 
You had to keep the law. To them, you had to offer sacrifices. And it was given to them to offer the animal sacrifices. So what you would offer would be gold and silver, which they greatly lusted after. Is that any different today? Is that any different from those you hear going coast to coast? The Lord needs your money. Send me this money. The next verse is going to tell us about devouring widows' houses. How many poor, harmless widows who have never been taught better send these wolves in sheep's clothing all the money they can afford thinking they're doing service to God? Okay? They would lay burdens upon men. They wouldn't move their own fingers. They devoured widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer. Nothing else needs to be said on that. You get the picture. Feed the flock of God which is among you. This is the first foremost responsibility given to a minister that's God called. Preach the Gospel. Feed the lambs. Pray that God will bless you to lay it out so simple and easy that the little child could understand it. And feed the sheep. Feed the flock of God that they might have strength, that they might have food, that they might have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is among you. I used to think many, many years ago because of things that I was taught, and I'll agree with it to a part, When he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, that was speaking of your congregation. And I'll have that 110%. But it was cut off at your congregation. I've actually heard men say, I saved my preaching for the church. I'm not going to preach nowhere else. If God uses the Gospel to call those He has already called unto eternal life and given life, if He uses the Gospel to call them to obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ, and we're not preaching the Gospel, reckon why churches die. Now, I do not and never have had the desire to preach to the world. When I went to work, I was the police. That was my function. When I would come to church, I would pray, God, help me to teach Christ. Very few times, and I'm making a point with this, did I ever bring up the Gospel with some crackhead I was fighting, okay? There have been times I brought it up. Went to a house one day, black man, black woman in their 50s, they were arguing, arguing, arguing. I looked at him and said, do you not know the Lord told you to love your wife like you love yourself? I never went back to that house. That's one time God moved me to say something. And which brings us to a point. If the Spirit leads you, then you go. 
When Josh was ordained, I told him, if God moves you to Africa, God bless you, but I don't have the call to go there. I'll see you when you get back. Follow where the Lord takes you. He gave pastors, teachers, and before that was an evangelist. Okay, Salvation has been open to the Gentiles. In my mind, the form of evangelism we use more today is not to nations, although we see that. Africa, China, Mexico. We've got churches in all three places to my understanding. But evangelism today, at least in my experience, has been dealing with one person at a time who had never known the truth. That through talking and speaking, they would hear the truth and repent and be converted. And what's the Bible say? And the angels in heaven rejoiced and gave glory to God. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. The oversight. Watching over them. I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, who shall not hold their peace. They cry out. They watch for your soul in love. They watch for your life. They watch to make sure that nothing comes in that wall, that hedge that God in Christ has put around you and around the church. If it does, they cry out. This is wrong. This is, this is not Scripture. Christ did not offer Himself to you. He offered Himself to God. There's no free will since Adam sinned. We've either been under the influence of Satan or under the influence of Christ after He quickened us. There's no more free will. Adam blew that. True Scripture. He watches for lies and heresies. Not by constraint. Not forcing you. You cannot beat a man to salvation. Or not because he is forced. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. When God calls a man, at least in my case, knowing what I am and what I was, I cried and I wanted to get away from it and I tried very hard, but God kept pulling me back down here because I was sorrowful of heart and I sought peace and there was no way to find it but here. (sighs) Moses did not drag Egypt. Christ does not drag us nor drive us like cattle. He leads us and we follow because of love. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. Let me be brief that men who stand up and live in houses that all of us together could not afford Fences with barbed wire. I've seen this around their houses to protect them. New cars for every day of the week. I watched a thing a couple of weeks ago about Kenneth Copeland and his limousine and driver and how it wouldn't answer the questions people were trying to teach him, just smile and got in the car and drove off. We could mention names. There's no point in it. 
because you know who they are. They preach for money. They fleece the flock. And most of what they fleece are the widows, devour widows' houses that the Scripture tells us in the book of James that we're to love and take care of. The widows and fatherless. Those that cannot help themselves. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 teaches us that we're not to muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Because oh, you could spend some time on it. God has devised that His ministers would live of the things, natural things, of those that they fed spiritual things. They were not to muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And then he said, does God care for oxen? In a perfect situation, and very few do we find this day and age, when you have a church which is in an area and God has blessed them to have a great number of people and they are able to take care of a minister, God bless them. And God bless that minister. His hands are untied from secular work and He can spend all of His time on the Gospel and on furthering the Gospel's sake. And I know men who are able to live like that and do, and believe me, the few that I know apply their entire life to the Gospel of Christ. Visiting the sick, visiting the elderly, visiting the young, taking care of the church, radio programs, uh, all these things, the YouTube programs, that's what they do with their time. That's in a perfect situation. We have sinned so far and Satan's brought us so far down. We don't have many perfect situations. We've got little flocks, little Bethel spots, little Beulah spots here and there scattered across this republic. Men preaching to two, three people. I've stood in the stand three times and spoke to one person for the entire church service. They're not able to keep that up as far as muzzling the ox. Most of them are in such a state they have a hard time taking care of their own physical needs. And a man should not expect them to. God has blessed me to have my living. I'm thankful for that. Y'all are good to me. It's, it's, it's taught in Scripture, but I'm in a position I'm thankful I don't need that. My children are grown. My grandchildren are grown, most of them, and God has blessed me richly, and I'll leave that where it is. Not preaching for money, but preaching for the glory of Christ and the benefit of the church. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, not demanding how they should live and do, but admonishing them to live godly lives. You see, after all all these apostles, uh, Peter and Paul both, had the authority to have those churches compensate them 
And they both worked with their own hands. Not being lords over the flock. Not dictating. If the church wants to do something, the church votes to do it. They have the final say. It's not to a minister who reigns over them with a finger on their head. He is to be an example. Again, you can't push them. You can't drag them. A person is going to do what a person wants to do. But when you love them and you pray for them and you have fellowship as a family with them in Christ and you walk in godliness, you lead them. And they follow you. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. When Christ appears. Now, let's look at this temporally and eternally. The crown of glory, and I heard somebody say when I was a child, used to sit right over there where Sister Ellie was sitting earlier, she said, you know, some people think when they get to heaven they're going to have a crown so big, they'll have so many stars in it, they're going to have to get a wheelbarrow to push it around. Um, <clears throat> it's not what's in question. The crown sits upon the head of the King of kings and Lord of lords. There are no hierarchies in glory. There's not one honored above another in glory. Men do that. God does not. The honor and the glory goes to the Christ of God, the man Jesus Christ, whom He hath exalted far above all other things. The crown, when He appears, I wish I'd quit saying that, when He comes in His glory, sitting upon His throne, it belongs to Him, because He's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He'll have His crown. It's upon His head. Whether that's literal or whether that is spiritual, you can know this. It belongs to Him. And we will see it because we will see Him as He is. And our crown of glory will be the glory of God of being raised up in a glorified body in the work of Christ with no more sickness, death, or sorrow in the work of Christ, in the glory of Christ. And we shall see Him as He is and adore Him in awe and admiration for the realm of eternity which never ends, which is in the finished work of Christ. While we live in this world, the glory of God rests upon us in the finished work of Christ. While we, by God's Spirit, by God's purpose, by God's hand, through the eternal purpose of Christ in the election of grace, when we are turned 
from our sin. When we're given life, the glory of God rests upon us. When we are converted, the glory of Christ. Remember, my glory shall rest upon you. It's like it's like it sprinkles down upon us. It comes down upon us. It falls like the dew down upon us. We stand in the glory of God. We have no righteousness of our own. It's imputed to us through Him. We have no glory of our own, but the glory of Christ rests upon us. When God suffers us to fall and He turns us back to Him, the glory of Christ rests upon us. As we suffer trial, tribulation, heartbreak, sorrow, anguish, anxiety, of all the darkness around us while we strive to be lights in this crooked and perverse generation. Because Christ has moved us to do that, the glory of Christ rests upon us. Now the glory fades not away. We may see one who spent their entirety of their life in the church from their youth on up. And because of something, Scripture gives us the man who had many possessions, because of something, they're led astray and they fall. Paul tells us in the Galatian letter, you've fallen from grace. That doesn't mean you fell outside the grace of God. That means your heart has been turned from grace back to the law. Therefore, you've fallen from grace. And that glory of Christ may not be upon them in the eyes of man anymore. But you make no mistake. The glory that rested upon them in the eyes of God does never fade away. And when we reach heaven in immortal glory by His grace, it will never fade away. I'm going to close right there. There's a few minutes left. We'll take it there next week. Lord willing.